Season 2, Episode 31. My name is Russ Shaw. Learning to define reward on this journey of life. Many times, and I'm not just talking about the, the road to recovery, right? But the, but the journey of life. Many times I've felt like a, like a refugee, you know? One of the biggest demonic lies, I believe, is that I'm all by myself, walking down this road all alone, you know? As a refugee, staying in little camps that would leave me cold and kicked out a day or two later. Listen, whoever you are and wherever you are, um, I'm humbled and honored that you would spend time listening today. And I pray that you're listening because you're looking for a place where you can rest your feet, right? Where you can rest your bones beside the fires, as the band Pink Floyd said, right? A real, meaningful place for your soul, for your spirit. A place that you can really call home. Hold on to me as we go As we roll down this unfamiliar road And although this wave is stringing us along Just know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your season and people start migrating home, right? Getting to home, family. Um, it's not always pretty. It's not. I get that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on a second here. ASI247.org is the website. My name is Russ Shaw. My email address, if you feel so inclined as to send an email across the interwebs, it's Russ at ASI247.org. The song I led in the show with is called A Promo Bumper, right? In the radio business, talk radio will use bumpers, you know, to... Anyway, uh, to keep my nose clean with the recording artist industry of America, um, this is not talk radio, this is a podcast, but it's tagged as speech media. And legally, it's good to say the name of the song, the name of the artist. Also, I go a little bit beyond, and I point you to the website, ASI247.org, and you can click on the music tab and download those songs right there from the ASI website. 
as of November 28th, I believe it is. ASI is seven years old. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got a little bit congestified there. Uh, it's been seven years, and I'm on season two, right? Getting getting ready to wrap up season two a little bit, but I wanted to really focus on bringing you something tangible, right? Something real, something tangible for your recovery, for this journey. And that's why I'm talking about this word reward. Um, I've talked with a lot of folks about this issue, and one of the things I like to ask somebody, someone who's approaching me for help, is why? Like, why do you want to stop? And sometimes people, I don't even have to ask. Like, they just, here's why. I want this thing to be done. I want it to be over. I want it to, to not control my life anymore. And that's why I got into recovery as well. You know, make the behavior stop. But over the years and over through the seasons of life, I started to realize a deeper reward than just stopping the behavior. I also had a friend who, you know, helped clear up some of this definition of reward for me. Uh, He was an alcoholic and he got into a 12-step group and he stopped drinking but you know he got to this point where he wasn't drinking anymore and that was kind of the goal right like I don't drink anymore now my life is like this and you know being an observer from the outside of of his story I saw a guy who reached his goal of not drinking anymore but his, his light went out, right? Like his passion for life, it just dried up. And now he's like this guy who doesn't do this thing that he really used to love to do. He doesn't do that anymore. So now he's over here and he's just kind of like, you know, walking around like Eeyore or something. It, no, I, I, don't, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. Just didn't strike me as, you know, quote, freedom, right? So my objective today is to approach this word reward from a few different layers, all right? Let's take the word reward and look at it like an onion. And that's part of the focus of season two, to kind of bring you up to speed. Um, Identity, uh, time, right? You're moving through time. Who you are today is not who you were yesterday. It's not who you were last year. It's who you are today, and you're moving in a certain direction, right? Um, And defining words. How you define reward is pretty important. And a big passion for doing this podcast is, you know, I'm not your psychologist, I'm not a pastor or anything like that, I'm not here to solve your problems, but I I do want to bring some crunchy bits of, you know, thought for you to digest, right? And speaking of that, um, donations, man, again, I, I hate having to pound this, but keeping gas in the tank for this podcast um if you could leave a donation you know to help uh, help put some uh, crunchy nutritious cereal in that bowl for some folks to get some nutrition out of you know rather than the just mindless entertainment stuff that we spend anyway uh yeah asi247.org if if you want to donate there I, again i certainly appreciate it more than you know the stories that come through my email box, and I am responding to some of those today here on the podcast. But um, you know, I'm, I'm not sharing them with folks because it's it's people's personal stuff. And uh, but again, this thing doesn't 
doesn't work without money, sadly. It's got bills. So if you feel led, give. If you think I'm the Christian guy after your wallet, don't give. I'm cool with that, too. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. So in defining reward, I'm going to approach this from the surface, from the psychological, and from the spiritual. Alright, I'm going to lean heavily on the psychological in this podcast and maybe go into more of the spiritual on the next. Uh, The surface, yeah, if you don't stop, right, if you continue down the road being a sex addict, it's just not going to go well for you. It's just proven over and over again. The shattered relationships, the, the lives, you know, just being alone and not knowing how to bond or connect with someone else um on the surface stds all right you ever hear the expression you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas i mean they advertise that it's like no it doesn't all right you go to vegas you that condom breaks and you get back on that plane with something pussy and red and itchy It, it, it doesn't stay in vegas that is simply not true, all right? So these are the surface things, and we all see that and go, yeah, of course, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do that. But again, is that just the reward? Um, I wanted to focus on some material from the psychological, dropping a layer down from the surface down to the what goes on in the brain, right? Um, I got some really great material from Dr. Patrick Carnes. He's the author of the book Out of the Shadows, it's the first book written on sexual addiction. Um, he first wrote it in like 1972, and it wasn't published until like 1982. Uh, it was it was a, rocked the psychological community. People rejected the idea of sexual addiction. People still do today, but more and more, it is a an obvious reality in the psychological community and. More and more people are embracing the fact that there is such a thing as sexual addiction. And a lot of that has to do with this man, Patrick Carnes. You know, not just the plausibility that there's such a thing as sexual addiction, but the evidence and the scientific data, right, that this thing exists. So dropping a layer down and defining reward from the psychological level. Dopamine. All right, is a powerful neurotransmitter that goes off on a, in in our brain. Right, it's the pleasure chemical. The reason something in our brain will say, "Ooh, I like this." All right, it makes my heart pound or whatever. It makes my heart go pitter pat. Okay, well, the reason we do that is because of this chemical dopamine. I listened to a series of lectures on cognitive neuroscience taught by uh, Professor Rich Ivory. Berkeley and he was talking about you know brain cells are kind of like jellyfish right you have the major part of the cell and then you have these big dendrites right these long connective tissues that that go around the brain and the brain is made up of gray matter and white matter white matter is this stringy like parts of the brain cells that cover the brain and make connections throughout the brain. And Patrick Carnes has done research on this. We're doing brain scans of addicts and yes, sex addicts, doing brain scan after brain scan 
Dr. Carnes has proved that addicts have shorter tentacles, right, for carrying those streams of dopamine. In other words, the strands of dopamine are short and they're not getting to places that bring, again, bring more life. It's kind of like that analogy with the spider, you know. The spider goes back and forth between two very short points and that spider web over time becomes like a cable. Dr. Ivory had Berkeley, right, Professor Ivory said that these dendrites are like a tree-like branches, you know. They start out in one place, they branch out these brain cells, and Dr. Carnes would say that addicts need to get longer branches. And that takes work, and it takes seeing a therapist, it takes going to a counselor, it takes, you know, being in group. It takes breaking the habit of... Uh, MESA, as he put it, machine-enhanced sexual arousal. Porn addiction is like crack cocaine for the brain, all right? It's like really, really limits these little hits of dopamine and makes this habit process even harder to break the more and more we use. Um, and a lot of psychologists, can they just kind of throw their hands up and... and there was a quote by a, a, a rock star guy, a, a musician, uh, Josh Groban, I think his name is, and he was talking about his porn addiction being so powerful that he would rather just use pornography than be in a relationship with a woman. Dr. Karn said that your wife, you know, you get married, your wife can't compete with this MESA, right, this machine-enhanced sexual arousal. You know, your, your relationships don't work like that. You, you don't just get sex whenever you want it. But the machine will do that for you. So there's a lot of negativity in the psychological community over breaking this thing. And as a former drug user, let me give you my take on it, all right? I was a crack addict for a little while. Um, I actually trafficked cocaine. Um, we would, you know, I'd cook it and we would smoke it that was crack we, we it was called freebasing back then and, and then you know somebody called it crack cocaine and now uh, the rest is history anyhow when I lost my connections as a drug trafficker I paid for cocaine a couple of times it's like a hundred dollars for a gram of cocaine and you know you cook that in a spoon and you can smoke that in like 20 minutes you're going to get a high that's going to last 15, maybe 25 minutes, and then you're going to want more. And eventually, the addict will come to the end of his rope if he doesn't kill himself. I heard, you know, like Nikki Six from Motley Crue, who was a heroin addict, and he was talking about, you know, I've heard this from a lot of different celebrities. Johnny Cash, you know, is addicted to amphetamines. They were talking about one of the worst things an addict can have is the wealth to pay for their habit. In the pizza business, I had a lot of freedom. Um, I sold pizza to hotels. I had could do what I wanted. I had a, this kind of wealth, so to speak, when it came to opportunity. And over time, the little hits of reward started to become familiar, like my crack addiction. I just felt these little hits of pleasure were, were, would help, you know, make me feel good for a little while. But then, you know, the shame sets in, the disappointment sets in, the who the heck am I sets in, right?
and it was like shot glasses of sand my, my sexual addiction I you know getting into these risky behaviors and you know from porn addiction to seeing prostitutes it was just I, I got to the point where it was like this this is not quenching my thirst this is not giving the reward that it promised that it that it dangles in front of me like a worm on a hook just reeled me into the boat where I would feel the club come down of shame and you know just uh, seeing where my life was headed and that was enough to get me to get some help because I love my wife because I love my family because I loved God um, no at that time I didn't love God I didn't know God I was not happy with God if there was a God right I was where I was at but a big part of my recovery is realizing that there is a God that he does love me and that I'm not God I mean, addict after addict, case study after case study. You know, at the heart of the root of the problem, a lot of guys in their pride are just like, you know, I'm God. They think that they're God. I really believed somewhere down deep in me that I had some kind of ultimate authority over my life. And that's just not true. You know, Genesis 1, God created the world and everything we see and everything we do not see. I don't have that kind of authority. I don't have that kind of ultimate power over my life. And that's the theological, and I'm going to get to that on the next show. I want to wrap this show up with the thoughts about psychology, the psychological reality of the situation. Dr. Carnes um, studied over seven years a thousand sex addicts to find out what works and what doesn't work, what makes a successful recovery. And he simply said it's the people that do the work. It's the people that go to the groups. It's the people that change their old habits and, and start new ones. The sociologists would say that being in community, being in communication with other people who struggle like you do, creates new pathways in your mind. When you have to consider others in relationship, and this can work in a marriage too, when you start to break down, again, start to break down this habit of thinking you're God and judging everyone, thinking that your wife exists as some kind of a sacrificial being given to your glory <laughs> this is not true she's there to love you she's there to be loved even more important but as we build these habits of getting out of our own little comfort zone and our own little safety shell and start to consider others we create again new neurological uh, biochemical pathways it's putting some faith in what actually works. Um, the film Moneyball is... Uh, I'll draw an emotional word picture for you. I don't know if you've seen this film. If you haven't, you need to rent it, you need to watch it. This is a great film. It's a true story about Oakland A's general manager, Billy Bean, 
who was a former player and lost some of his best players because of, you know, the way baseball works with trading and money. And the facts are that the Oakland A's don't have as much money as the New York Yankees and other teams that are getting the best players. But rather than complain and lament about his situation, which he did some of that, but he decided to find a different way, right? Like, there's got to be a way to put together a baseball team that can win that isn't based on dollars and cents. So he hires this guy played by Jonah Hill. He hires this guy who's a, a kind of a computer nerd statistics kind of dude, right? And, and he asks him about how this works. And long story short, he, he brings this guy in and he has to put a lot of faith in the system that this guy has put together, right? And it doesn't start out well. It's the same with recovery. Things are going to get worse before they're going to get better. That's true. Um, can I tell you something? you got to be honest. Uh, I know how painful this is. I know how hard it is if you're married, if you have a girlfriend, um, boyfriend, it's, right? You need to be honest and tell that person. And I know that that's scary. I did a year's worth of successful recovery. I did a, almost a year of this podcast before I had really talked about the, the entirety of how dark my sexual addiction got before I confessed out everything to my spouse. And it was painful, and I thought, yes, I thought, sure, she would divorce me. I remember talking to a pastor going, my wife will divorce me. And he's like, she might, yeah. But if you're not honest, you are lying to her. You're selling her a version and an image of you that's not really real. She doesn't know the depth of your struggle. And that might sound selfish, and I get that. You know, I, I get that some of your confessions may come out in a way that would seem like or feel like you're attacking your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, right? Your significant other. That's why it's important to do this in counseling, you know, to do this with a third party there to help, you know, like I talked about in the bomb squad shows, to absorb some of the impact of the explosion. Because it will be like a bomb going off for that person, more than likely, especially if you've been unfaithful. Man, it is so important to confess this thing to a counselor or pastor first and then start the process of dragging it out into the light. A very real part of the healing process is constantly dragging out into the light what is dark, what is hidden, what is secret, what is eating you up from the inside out. Some of you, with the worry and the anxiety, are thinking... Russ, what are you trying to do right now? What are you trying to do, man? Can I tell you something? I'll quote a line from The Matrix. Morpheus said, I'm trying to free your mind, Neo. But all I can do is show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. I realize that the big monster fear is standing in front of that door, trying to intimidate you to not walk through it. 
man, embrace the struggle, all right? That's a quote by a guy named Zig Ziglar, who just died last week. And this man, can I tell you something? Zig Ziglar, you know, he's a sales motivator kind of guy. I'm in sales. The guy was a big influence in my life. Part of the reason this show is called Attitudes of Sexual Integrity was some of the inspiration of this man. I don't agree with everything Zig Ziglar said, but Zig Ziglar loved Jesus. He studied his Bible, and he knew a thing or two about conquering this demonic force of fear and worry. Zig Ziglar said that worry is like paying interest that isn't due yet. Listen, if I could go back and do this over, I would have confessed earlier because it's it makes it less painful, all right? You ever hear about ripping a Band-Aid off really fast rather than pulling it off slow? That's what you do. That's what you got to do. But don't do it alone. I will warn you in that. As a guy who's been there, as a guy who's seen people confess, don't do this by yourself. Get a counselor. Talk to a pastor. And start the real process of dragging this thing out into the light. Dr. Karn said that the work, right, the behavior modification, has to be coupled with being honest and constantly dragging out into the light the plate, you know, like water seeks the lowest point. Your addiction has been the lowest point. So when you rip that thing up, you got to be honest about where that water seeks to find rest. And that is a lot harder, and it's a lot more painful when you're keeping things in the dark. When you've got a tight, two-handed grip on your secret life. Going back to my money ball metaphor, it's walking into faith, trusting that other people may know more than you, and that embracing the struggle even when it feels painful, even when it feels like the thing you ought not do. But you fight that fear. You know, the Bible says you have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption by God who's called you a son. And you can cry out to him, Daddy, right? Daddy, Father. Abba, Father, the Bible says. It's just like a little kid reaching for dad in his hurt, in his pain, in his growing and learning to get up on his feet even when he's fallen on his butt 1,600 times. Billy Bean pressed through, pressed through all the coaches and all the managers and even the ownership that thought he was crazy and he had one of the biggest, winningest seasons in baseball history. The whole, what he did changed baseball today. Learning and honing and perfecting this algorithm. And it's funny because he still felt like a failure, you know. He didn't get what he thought was going to work out and how it was going to work out for him. It's not all going to work out for you the way you think it's going to. Can I tell you something? That's a one big, huge truth that I've learned. You know... I don't know the future. Again, from the Matrix, right? I don't know the future. I don't know how this is going to end, but I know how it's going to begin. And in my faith, I don't know the future. 
but I know the one who does know the future. I'm loved by the one who has created and intricately woven the future and, and understands the things that I don't. That through an act of love entered his own story, entered time and space, lived as a man, suffered like we do, enjoyed, laughed, loved, but suffered greatly. God isn't distant. God knows how you feel, and you can talk to Him. All right, I'm gonna get again. I'm gonna get to some of that in the next show. But really, man, I love you guys, and I want you to to have some faith. Kick out the fear. All right, do some things that work. Listen, seven years and a thousand sex addicts, and all this research. This this isn't speculation and conjecture. This stuff works. And fear is the biggest thing standing in your way. And listen, embrace the struggle of embracing these two definitions. Pressing through the brain chemistry, whatever, alright? Growing your dopamine transfer tentacles, whatever. But listen, how do you define love? And how do you define freedom? Two questions for you to kind of ponder. Again, my name is Russ Shaw. If you want to send me an email, it's russ at asi247.org. Um, I'll leave you with a song. It's from the movie Moneyball by Lanka, I think her name is. This song reminds me of something I heard from Zig Ziglar as well as something I heard from Yale's uh, stress, depression, and addiction consortium. They were talking about gratitude, right? Gratitude, the emotion of gratitude is the one of the healthiest emotions that can flow through your brain. And more than that, it is a spiritual reality that can flow through your whole being if you let it truth be told, the most effective weapon in the arsenal of taking this thing on is a constant tabulation of the grace that you've been given, right? Of the blessings that you do have, that you possess now. It's like I talked about, you know, in some of the past shows about life being an adventure, right? We all have good things in our lives, things that we can count things that are real, true, people we love. So sit back, go through this process, and enjoy the show. I don't know the future, but I'm loved, and I seek relationship with the one who does. Till next time, bye. I'm just a little bit caught in the middle. Life is amazing. Or else my heart is going to pop Cause it's too much, yeah it's a lot To be something I'm not I'm a fool out of 
I don't got all the answers. But truth be told, what has happened to you matters less than how you handle it and where you go from here. I'm just a little bit caught in the middle. Life is a maze and love is a riddle. I don't know where to go. Just dance.